Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're watching online, I invite you to take your Bibles. Let's just remember where we are in our study of Romans and why we have sort of parked our, our spiritual car, so to speak, on the gospel here for a little bit. We have made our way slowly through, through the first chapter of Romans, and we hit verses 16 and 17. And so let's just remind ourselves of what Romans 1, 16 and 17 says that prompted us to say, let's make sure that we know how to share the gospel. Romans 1, verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And, and so what we wanted to do over the, over the last, and this is our third week, is just to have a little little time that we talk about how do we share the gospel and there's many ways to do it not one way there the gospel doesn't change but our approach might change depending on who we talk to I've just chose this this is your sermon notes today there's some over there on the blue table and this one of the reasons I picked this is because it helps you share the gospel with people that may not have a what we would call a biblical worldview at all it's not starting with understanding who Jesus is. And so that's the, one of the reasons why I wanted us to understand this, to, to bolster our confidence, to be able to share the gospel, most of which people that are already in your life. Um, this is about having ongoing, everyday relationships. I, I told somebody uh, multiple times that, that I spend $3 a day to have coffee at the coffee shop because I get to meet people at the coffee shop. I can't meet people sitting at home. I have to get myself out of my comfort zone in order to be able to meet people. And when I meet people, I got to have a way, a means in my mind, a confidence to bring the gospel to bear into that conversation, no matter where, the, where that conversation might go. And so that's been our, our desire uh, as we gather together the last couple of weeks. So we remember where we started, God's design, that top of our three circles, that God's got a design for our life. It was evident from the very beginning. Remember, we don't apologize for what we call our starting point, our presuppositions, the things that we believe is true. What we are trying to do is connect what we believe to where they are when we talk to them. And Creation bears witness that there is a design to it. And if there is a design to it, there is a designer to it. And that's who we want to tell them about. And uh, so creation has a design. It has a designer. And that God made everything initially good and perfect. And we as humans are the pinnacle of his creation. Designed uniquely to have a relationship not only with him, but have a relationship with, with each other. We are rational beings in relationship to we have the ability to relate to each other in a, in a particular way. God created us this way. But we know what happened. That Adam and Eve decided they would go their own way. to do their own thing. They would depart from God's design and we call that sin. 
We said this is where sin leads. Though, though these two cups look the same, we used this last week, this cup is broken. <laughs> and so that's what sin leads to. God created perfection, but sin created brokenness. Brokenness is a consequence of sin, not necessarily your direct sin. Sometimes it's sin done to you, and sometimes it's sin done by you. But either way, it produces the same result, a brokenness in our life. We want out of that brokenness. We want alleviation of that pain, and so does every single person you speak to. They are trying to fix their own cup because that is the view of life that they have. That's all they got once you reject God. Fix it yourself. And so they try. Where they end up is where? Addiction, guilt, depression, shame. More and more brokenness, deeper and deeper in their misery. And so as we look at our, our little, little diagram there, we see those squiggly lines. That's, that's us and them trying to fix their brokenness on their own. Whether we medicate it with drugs or numb it with alcohol, the end is the same. We end up in a place of more brokenness and hopelessness. And what we talked about last week is though this feels like a bad thing, and it is to some degree, it is actually a good thing to be in a place of brokenness because you realize that you cannot fix yourself. And it is there. It is at that moment where if you are vested in the people's lives, you have an opportunity at that moment, sometimes ordained by God, to present the means out of their brokenness because there is no way that a broken cup can fix itself. Somebody has to fix it. The remedy for this cup is outside of the cup. It's not within that cup. And that's where brokenness can get us to, to understand who can fix this mess that I've made, this mess that other people have made, even in my life? The answer is, let me tell you some good news. Let me tell you some good news. That, that's the gospel. That's your bridge. So people's brokenness in their life, my brokenness, that hasn't got completely restored yet, and neither has yours, is our parallel, it's our bridge into the life of other people so that we can get to the good news. That's the main idea today. The gospel allows us to recover and pursue God's design for our lives and then help other people do the same. So let's just four simple points, just keeping it simple today because we're going to put this thing back in drive in Romans and we're going to fix it to go deep. We're fixing to go deep and when Paul goes deep. I just want you to see it this morning. God has made a way. So turn with me to Genesis 3. I want you to see sort of this little beginning or foretaste of the gospel. Genesis 3.15. God says, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, who is God speaking to? Who is he speaking to ultimately? You can talk right now. It's just okay. It's church. But you can, what you got? Okay. 
Look at the text. Let's see. What's that? He was speaking to Satan. The serpent, you remember, was there. And he was speaking to Satan. And, and so there it is. A little, the sobering reality of this. This picture. Is that since man broke it, man's going to have to fix it. That's a big problem, isn't it? Because we've already said that in our brokenness, we realize that we can't fix ourselves. There's our, there's our issue. The promise is there's going to be someone come from the seed of a woman who, who is going to fix this problem. We see also, if you just look down in verse 21, another little foretaste of covering, that though these Adam and Eve deserve to be killed, they deserve the wrath of God, because of the justice of God, what they experience is a covering from God due to the sacrifice of, of an innocent animal that did nothing wrong. And so we see God bringing clothing to cover their shame. So we learn right there the costly, costly nature of sin. But we also see the hope of God's mercy in our sin, even from the very beginning. So... God loves us, and so he sent his son to shed his blood to cover our sin once and for all. That's the good news. And so you know we need to go to John 3.16 if you even really need to go there. We know this passage by heart. Sometimes it's the only passage people know. It's a wonder that they don't know the context a conversation between Nicodemus that led to this, which is important, by the way, but that's an, another conversation for another day. He says here, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. We're going to come back to here again. For God did not send his Son <clears throat> into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Through him. Listen to this. Hebrews 10 verse 10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse, 20, verse 14 he comes back and says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. One sacrifice for sin. Christ came to give his son to fix our sin problem, to fix our relationship problem. Man's problem is not brokenness. Man's problem is his brokenness before his God, his sin. We don't promise people that all their little broken places are going to get instantly healed like an easy button in the Christian life. We can promise them that their ultimate problem of their relationship between God and other people can be fixed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel? It's simple. Jesus lived perfectly. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15 summarizes this. This was, by the way, a creedal statement that was taught in the church from the very beginning. The gospel seed, by the way, never changed. That's why they had creeds to teach this in oral cultures. It says, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So let's just unpack that just for a little bit. First, is I want us to think about His life. When we share the gospel with someone, we want to talk about Jesus' sinless life, His perfect life, that He went through everything you went through, yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 in the New Living Translation says, He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. In in contrast to our sin-ridden life, Jesus' life was filled with righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, which verses 17 to 21, important passage as we're talking to people about the gospel. One of those ones we need to we need to put to mind. We can get to either memorize it or have it to where it's accessible to you. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5 said, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God considered his son to be sinful. He was not sinful. If he was actually sinful, he wouldn't have been able to die for your sin. He carried your sin. He carried it to the cross. Though he was innocent, though he was holy, though he was righteous. He never broke God's design. He kept God's design and God's will perfectly. And there, on the cross, he actually died. He actually suffered, he actually died, and he was actually buried. This was important to remove wrath, you see. We're going to talk about that beginning next week in verses 18 to 32. What is the wrath of God? But this is what had to be removed. Remember the song we just got through singing? The cup was not removed, he paid it all. He had to drink the cup, the cup that we deserve and that you deserve. And that person that you're speaking to deserves. 1 John 2.2 says, He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours also, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation is a good word. It's a positive word. I know we don't use it every day, but it's a word that just means that Jesus was our wrath-removing substitute. He removed all that stood in our way for God to move with favor, blessing, and grace in our life. That had to be removed. It had to be dealt with because God is just. He removed wrath. He brought righteousness. Romans 4, we're going to get to this. He brings in Abraham and Abraham's faith into this picture of our faith. Now think right here in Romans 4, verse 20. And following, we have one of the best definitions of faith. At verse 20, Romans 4, 20. It said, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen to verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's faith. Verse 22. That is why this faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, 
were not written for his sake alone, verse 24, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the gospel. When he went to the cross, he had to deal with something. He had to deal with actual sin for actual people. The cross is not potential salvation. It was actual salvation. Jesus died for particular people on the cross. He accomplished it. It's not up to us. It was up to Him. He did it all. He brings righteousness. He brings forgiveness. Micah read this passage, Colossians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. If you are in Christ because of what Christ did on the cross, why are you still rolling around in the shame of your yesterday? Why are you rolling around in it? Why are you receiving lies that the enemy and other people speak into your life? When the Bible already says that Jesus nailed it to the cross and he disarmed them people from the lowest depths of hell to that person who's supposed to be your friend that sits right beside of you. You do not have to receive it because the gospel said Jesus removed it. He, he removes our shame. He brings forgiveness. He removes wrath. He brings righteousness He restores relationship. This is the most fundamental. The most foundational. If this this is our point, we want to help people understand. You were designed for this. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's what the gospel does. Everything else that he has to do that we're going to look at later was meant to do this to bring us to God because that's where it was in the beginning and that's where it will be because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But if he just died, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile is useless, and you are still in your sins. But Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's the gospel. If we don't get to this, we don't get to the gospel. Some of us watched that video in our small groups where the guy presented this, this part of the gospel and had this great move, and he gets back, and one of his mentors said, uh, you forgot the gospel. What do you mean? You didn't ever got to the resurrection. The resurrection is critical. 1 Corinthians 15 says it's useless, but then in verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. It means he was the first and the best, but there's more following, and that's us. Matter of fact, do you remember Romans 4? We just got through reading it. Verse 25, it said he was delivered up for our trespasses 
and raised for our justification. No resurrection, no declaration of righteousness, no right standing before God. We could not have been brought back to God unless Jesus is alive. And he is alive. Of that we have, we have proof beyond any reasonable doubt if we will only look at it. Philippians 2, 5 says there's more, more than this. That because of the resurrection, Jesus is declared, declared to be Lord of all. And if Lord of all, all of his promises and all of his declarations of who he is and what he's going to do and what he commands of us must be responded to by obedience and faith. He's Lord of all. He's the only Savior. The only one that can take a cup that's broken and make it new. Listen to this, Philippians 2, 5. We know this well. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, that is, through the seed of a woman. That's my add-on, Genesis 3.15, accomplishing that. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore, because of all of this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. We do not make Him Lord. He is Lord. And when He saves us, we declare it. He defeated death, sin, and the grave. We have no fear of death. We will taste it if the Lord does not come back. But He has already conquered it. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe... And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you, where? Into his presence. There it is, his presence there again. How it started from the beginning is the end goal of the Christian life. He will bring us into his presence because he lives because he ascended, because he is sitting in the place of glory, honor, and power, and he has said he's going to come back to get us. So the simplest way, all of that's good, important, and we need to have these in ongoing conversations, but to boil it down to the most simple, in your conversation with someone, the gospel saves us from our sins. You have to believe Romans 1.16, that the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. Not you, not the smoke and mirrors that you feel obligated to put on. No, we don't need anything other than the gospel. It is the power. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, that means declared righteous, and with the mouth one is confesses and is saved. For the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
That's a promise from our resurrected Lord that gives us confidence to present the gospel and trust the power of the Holy Spirit to save. But we must. We true have not presented the whole gospel if we do not call for a response. A response. And so if you've got your book, you can open it up and see then the response is repentance and belief. Repentance and faith. This was Jesus' message from the very beginning. Mark 1.15. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's, that's our simple call to respond. And everybody responds. Everybody listening today, online or here, is going to respond to this message in some way. What the Bible is calling us to do is to repent. A church that doesn't preach repentance is not a church. We must preach repentance because that is the only means whereby people are saved. We must turn. We must change our mind and change our direction. We must, as Romans 10 says, we must agree with what God has said about us and what Jesus has done for us. And we must say, He is the only Savior. He is the only Lord. I am broken and I cannot fix myself. And so I will follow Him. Whatever the cost, whatever it takes. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn us because we were already condemned. When you meet with somebody, you are not going to push them towards condemnation. Quit Quit trying to be motivated by preachers who put more shame on you to share the gospel. That doesn't work. It is the anti-gospel. People, they're already under condemnation. Genesis 3 put them under the condemnation of Adam's sin. 1 Corinthians 15.21 says, For as by a man came death, by a man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die... So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Our nature condemns us. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince and the power of the air. The spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3 says. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. We are condemned through Adam's sin. We are condemned by our own natures who's been in sin. And we are condemned by our own actions. That is everybody that you run into that is outside of Christ. They know it. That's why their cups are broken. That a bad tree produces what? Bad fruit. And they can't do, as Paul Tripp says, take tape out there and take the good fruit on. It just don't work. And their life has proven that. And what God has given us is the opportunity to show them that unless the root is changed, the fruit cannot change. God wants to save us. Back to John 3. Now, I said all of that, but what does Scripture say? just want you to hear it. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to what? Condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people of darkness rather than light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The gospel is simple. All people stand in condemnation because they have willfully and sinfully departed God's design. But God has sent His Son in order to forgive them, to restore their relationship back to God, and then begin to be able to, so they can pursue what they were designed to pursue. Back what God designed Him, giving them purpose and dignity. That's number four. God helps us recover and pursue his design. So how does that work? Exactly. Well, the only way that I really know how to explain it is in the Old Testament. And so you can turn to Ezekiel, or you may know it. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 sort of tells us what has to happen. What the Holy Spirit is doing is because our job is to present the gospel, right? To pray and boldness present the gospel. But what are we praying for God to do in that person when we're speaking to him? Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 says, This is the promise that is coming in the new covenant. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Listen to verse 28. You shall dwell in the land and I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is the promise. that He is not simply going to repair your cup. He is going to do something new going to take something that's old and he's going to give us something that is new. He has to do that. And in this new nature that he gives us, he is going to put his spirit and what that is going to cause in our life for the first time is everything we once loved, we now hate. And everything we once hated, we now love. Do we fail? Yes, we do. And we'll always come back to repentance and faith in the Christian life. But those desires have been changed. And that's, those are what causes us to do what we do. Unless that happens, you are not saved. Don't miss verse 28. You shall dwell in the land. What is that? That's restoration. That's what that is. And there's a now and not yet to that. Spiritual, then the physical. His Spirit indwells us. His Spirit empowers us. And He restores us to live the way that we are designed to live. Back to our text that I told you you needed to know. 2 Corinthians 5.17 By the way, don't get aggravated with people when they constantly repeat themselves to you. They're trying to teach you something. When you go to school, 
You're sitting there going, that teacher done said the same thing. Does she not understand? No, no. They're trying to teach you something. Repetition is, is built in. It's important. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this, all of the old passing, all of the new coming is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what he's given us to do. We are new creations. He doesn't repair our cups. He gives us a new cup. And he fills it with his spirit. And then he gives us a responsibility. A purpose in our life. To lead other broken people to the same gospel. So that repentance and faith. They can recover and pursue. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That's why when you're saved. You're not just snatched on to heaven. He gives us this time. And we should not waste it. So what? Well, the obvious question is, is, isn't it? Have you repented and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible calls all people, while today is today, to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. To not, to not repent is to reject. We are here to have ongoing conversations with you. We, are, I will, we will stay here as long as it takes. I will meet with you as long as it takes. And so will anybody in this room to make sure that you know that you know. But I'm going to ask questions, a couple of questions here for us followers of Christ in this room. When's the last time you wept over the lost? Listen to this. Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I would gather, your, gather your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When's the last time you wept over the lost people? I, I, I'd ask you to get a card a couple weeks ago, and there's still cards over there, and to write down people on your list. Uh, this card is, is a card that will probably grow in number as you, as you pres- look for oppor- as God gives you opportunities and you take them. You'll add their names onto your list of people that you pray for. But these are people, as I look at them, at least three of them that I've been praying for for years and years. And I've shed tears for all of them. Because here's the truth. If I could save them by my own strength, I would. Wouldn't you? But we can't. What can we do? Well, we can share the gospel, and we can pray. 
And so here's what I want us to do for a few minutes. Uh, Micah, if you and Steve want to go ahead and come on up, be fine. Uh, I'm going to spend, I want us to spend a few minutes as we close just in prayer, just where you are. I'm not going to make you get all um, um, weird and uncomfortable by having to partner up. I started to. You're welcome. I just want us to pray. If, if you don't have a paper with, a, with people on it, you, you've got those people. I would encourage you to write them down. There's cards, index cards over there on the table when you leave today. But write them down somewhere that you can visualize them. And let's just take a few minutes and let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask the Lord that he would save these through the power of the gospel. That he would give either us or someone else the opportunity to share the gospel. That he would right now, through his sovereign providence, lead them in the places that they should go, to the right people that they should go. That even in the midst of their brokenness, they would see their need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we lift up those people that you have placed in our life that don't know Christ. Some people on our list are our friends, maybe for a short time, maybe for years. They, some of them may not even know how long we've prayed for them. Some of them are family. People that we would gladly lay our lives down for. But yet they don't know you. And so, Lord, we come to you today. And intercede on their behalf. For you to have mercy in their life. For you to use the broken places in their life as you did ours. So that you, they might point them to their need for you. Lord, we love them. And we don't want to miss an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We also understand that you have your, your people and your children all over the world and all over this town and all over the country. And so we pray that you would send your children as a constant sea and even a constant drip, Lord, into their life. That you would orchestrate conversations and just everyday things in their life to put the gospel constantly in front of them. Do not give them up to themselves. We pray, Lord, that you would have mercy on them as you did on us and bring them to saving faith so that they and we together might praise your name because you are worthy of their praise. You are worthy of their worship and their life. Help them to see that, God, that you created them for that so that they may repent and believe and find their rest and their joy 
and their purpose in you. And so now, Lord, we as your children come to respond. We come to respond through singing. We love to sing to you, Lord. It's when our heart leaps. It's how we express our love and our affection and our allegiance. Lord, we're going to come to the tables and make our offerings and take the bread and the cup to remember the work of your son and what he's done for us. And so, Lord, we pray that this would be a sweet time of worship as we respond to you, our Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.